0: Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, a podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about the albums that are important to them. My guest this time, guests rather plural, are Bill Orcutt and Chris Corsano, whose new album, Made Out of Sound, is out now on Bill's Palolalia imprint. And unlike their previous album, which was recorded together in a studio in Brussels back in 2018 that one brace up felt very angular I I think of it almost like these buckled, bent bits of metal it was very angular a lot of stop starts on both the drums and the guitar this one feels more fluid I mean it was recorded remotely with Chris recording his drums and sending them over to Bill to add guitars which were actually double tracked as well which I think smooths over some of those angular edges this one feels more water like there's a gorgeous flow to the whole thing and even tonally I think there's so many more moments of seamlessness and curved edges it's beautiful it feels very live and very present as well for a remotely recorded album I think that's testament to the fact that both of these guys have been playing with each other for over a decade, but also on their own respective trajectories for so long. I know both of these players when I hear them instantly. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same. It was so lovely to speak to them both. I loved all four records that they picked as well. So I really hope you enjoy this one. As always, go to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on their picks. And links to their music as well. And thank you as always for listening. Please do rate and review the show. Give it five stars if you like. Not going to force your hand there, but it does help. And please enjoy. This is Bill Orcutt and Chris Corsano on Crucial Listening. Hello, bill hello chris welcome to crucial listening thanks yep hey thanks for coming on so before we get into talking about your important records i wanted to ask about what's been happening with you both recently music wise so i mean firstly it's been almost a year since things went a little wayward uh, in our respective countries and i know you probably would have had a different 2020 had things been different so my first question is is what are the main ways that playing and making music have manifested for you both over the past 12 months? How has music remained in your life? I mean, Bill, let's start with you.
1: I haven't, uh, well, I haven't played any shows. I did do, did I do one streaming thing? Maybe I did two streaming things, uh, which weren't even really streaming. They were like pre-recorded films. Uh huh. I've done a lot of recording, um, i guess maybe to fill in um and you know kind of like release to normal number of records for me uh in 2020 it's cut to be honest i mean because i have a full-time job so not not playing live has kind of been not something that was terrible for me (laughs) (laughs) i i've kind of uh you know it's been nice to not be you know, distracted because it's always stressful to kind of get the time off of work and then Mm
0: -hmm. deal
1: with all the things that I won't I'll be neglecting at home, you know, and yeah. And so to not have to deal with that part of the you know, that that side of it has been kind of cool. Um and I enjoy recording and making records, so yeah, it's been okay for me.
0: I've seen a lot of um stuff with cracked come up this year. I don't know if it's been more than usual but has that been more of a go-to recently
1: i've been uh, i guess i did a two or three things yeah i don't know they just kind of you know you get an idea and then it's really easy to well i shouldn't say easy but you know it's it, it's quicker to turn it around um because i can just do it all by myself mm-hmm. and uh, uh and somehow it's interesting because i think it's somehow easier to program when i'm tired than it is to play the guitar <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe because it doesn't happen in real time mm-hmm. you know so i can kind of yeah it feels like i can do it with less energy uh than it takes to like pick up the guitar and actually like sustain a thing you know in, in the moment uh mm-hmm. so yeah maybe there might have been a few more cracked things i'm
2: not sure and what about you chris yeah it's been probably like everybody more recording focused. So catching up on some old recordings that I uh, didn't ever have the time to get to say mixing a uh, thing with uh, Michael flower. Uh, will hopefully be coming out later this year, which we just sort of finished doing. And then uh, some, you know, uh, online things. Um, and yeah, then a lot of just, messing around, uh, practicing and then wondering how that will translate once this is to the next stage where we will be all back together again, playing. Um, hmm. but yeah, uh, that that's been, cause you know, it's like part of it for me is always, it might work at home, but you get it into a different room where the acoustics are different or, you know, what you imagine it'll be like when you, when you try and, um, interface with somebody who you're playing with. It's like it's it's always totally different and kinda that's half the fun. Or if it's not working, I wouldn't call it fun. But you know, like that's that's the the thing. Um and that's what I enjoy. So like not getting that that final step, which is like the crucial one. Um it's yeah, just raise more questions than anything. So I'm I've I've had a few things in my head like uh for the whole time, all of quarantine, where there were these shows that were I was going to do, and I kind of was like, oh, I wonder what it'll be like, you know, maybe I should work on, you know, there was like a saxophone player I was going to do a show with who I hadn't really played with too much before, Ingrid Laubach. And, um, and I had like months advance, and I was just sort of wondering, and I started working on things kind of all random, and it's uh, kind of like I read that about Sun Ra, he would have the orchestra practice these things, hours and hours and hours, and then come the gig, they wouldn't play them. Um, <laughs> I find that that's, like, kind of true, like, just in, in uh, I don't do that on purpose, but, like, I'll practice stuff and be like, oh, well, you know, I, Ingrid does this thing that I think is really awesome, I should be able to respond really quickly to it, you know, and have this together or that together or work hmm. on, you know. And then, you know, the, of course, like, inevitably, it's not even Murphy's Law, but it's kind of like a kind of extension of that it's like you know i prepared for all this stuff but then something else happened you know improvising is kind of about that anyways and i think that the action of preparing and just kind of focusing on it helps all the same even if and in a way you don't want to be doing stuff that you rehearse to death at home so yeah that gig didn't happen the date came and went and you know here we still are but um there have been a few different things like that that i've been like kind of you know meditating on for a year i guess and uh that's changed my playing maybe or maybe it will just will all dissolve as soon as i get in a more real situation we'll see
0: yeah i suppose it's an unprecedented experiment right like i can't imagine you've had this long to sit on stuff without <laughs> any feedback as to like yeah you know being out yeah, in exactly. the field right and in amongst these recent projects for you both is obviously this new record between you made out of sound which was obviously recorded remotely i mean was this always going to be a remotely recorded album or did you have a plan to get together prior to the pandemic and have to pivot or was it always a remote one
2: we had a tour planned um of course you did yeah necessarily a record would come from that but
0: hmm and the remote recording started with your drums, Chris, as I understand, and I've seen you talk a bit about your process between you for putting the record together, but what ways did you kind of prepare or what did you have in mind when you were sitting down at the drums to record these pieces, knowing that you were going to send them over to Bill?
2: Well, it's, you know, it really, really started with uh, Bill emailing me saying, we should probably do a record. Uh, right. <laughs> thought of but that is you know the things do have a beginning before the beginnings i guess and mm-hmm. uh and so then that was like that was the thing that i was responding to you know like as in as much as if you're improvising you're res- you're responding to something and so i was like right a record right. and then thinking that of just like playing in this room that i'm always in that nobody else is in um except for you know the occasional live stream that was um kind of interesting because uh, i You know, it's it's a basement, and I'm very comfortable there. And another thing was like separating it from just practicing. You know, I didn't want Mm. it to be just part of. I don't think it was, you know, because I had different things on my my brain. But um, yeah. So trying to make it like, well, what would happen if we were playing together? You know, I would leave space here. You know, and so um, I just kind of tried to set some things in motion and. Didn't quite know what Bill would do to them, but uh, tried to leave things. And then, yeah, that that was my part for it.
0: I saw you say that you really had to tune your drums to Bill's tuning. Uh, and if you're half a step out, then things get a bit fucked. I mean, is that a particular problem with Bill specifically or a general issue, or is it more so with more pronounced when you're playing with Bill?
2: Um, well, what I didn't really think of when I said that was that Bill is a human being with a brain and ears and he could hear the drums and tune to them. Um, right. so, you know, that was, that was me being stupid probably. Um, but I, I did want to, I wanted to, um, I, it's, it, and it's not specific to to Bill at all. Um, mm-hmm. but just anyone who I play with, uh, especially string instruments. Cause I don't understand at all how saxophones work. Um, <laughs> I mean I know I know there are people who will like people I play with will they can dial in you know it doesn't have to be like this concert pitch or whatever so if I'm a little bit off um it's not like they can't handle it but I would like to make things you know if if a sax sounds good here if someone's comfortable playing like this you know like uh if you're if you're a little bit too far out then you know where the range where maybe someone feels their instrument sounds best i didn't want to i want to make that possible for them rather than you know um not thinking of the other person and then making more work for them but um it's uh-huh. not like it's not like any of the people like bill could totally handle whatever you know whatever mess i threw his way he would make something good out of it um but i wanted it to be like as i would do like that there's that thing of like imagining like it's a remote record, but what are some things that happen in real life when you're in real time together? Hmm. And it would be like, well, I would just hear him tuning up and I would, we'd be tuning up at the same time, you know? Um, and whatever that means, you know, it's like, there, there's a lot of flexibility with drums, so that's fine. But, um, you know, since it was me on my own, I, I just kind of wanted to like, uh, imagine slash anticipate some stuff. And again, like same thing with like when you practice ahead of time, it never is the way you imagine it's going to be, but at least it gets your brain focused on something.
0: Mm. That's really cool. There's a really warped timeline going on there, I guess, where you're kind of reacting to a phantom version of Bill, who's then reacting to a real version of you. That's really cool. Mm. Um, Bill, when you recorded your bits, obviously you opted for a double track guitar. Um, The whole thing sounds gorgeous. You end up with some really lovely kind of drone textures sometimes coming in over the, the instruments. I mean, what led to your decision to double track the guitar instead of just going for a single one?
1: Uh, well, part of it was just that I could, you know, normally. <laughs> yeah. uh, normally we would be recording together in the room and then we would kind of, you know, record for a couple of hours and then we would be done. So I, could, I had the, you know... I guess it was a positive thing of being able to kind of just uh, work on it as long as I wanted uh, and I could, uh, you know, overdub and uh, do whatever uh, to it. And uh, that was that was kind of cool. It also kind of made up for the fact that we weren't in the same room together. So the kind of interaction that we would normally have, I could kind of uh, compensate for that by, by being able to add in you know some extra sounds but yeah i mean and also honestly i've been when i've been playing solo i've been doing more stuff with with overdubs you know uh my last solo record had overdub guitar and Mm -hmm. and so i've just been kind of headed that direction anyway
0: and i guess as well you say that obviously you could like i guess that could have gone on exponentially if you really wanted but i mean was there any sense of wanting to retain some sense of immediacy around what chris's chris was doing and not becoming overly familiar with you know what he was bringing to the table because it sounds like a spontaneous record you know i was silly i didn't read about the record before i listened to it for the first five times i didn't realize it was remotely recorded so it feels spontaneous so i mean was there an effort there to to try and stop yourself getting too familiar with chris's input
1: it's mostly first takes uh Uh you know i would listen uh i would listen a couple times beforehand and kind of figure out what tuning i was i was going to use um but then uh i wouldn't uh, necessarily uh yeah i mean i would kind of just record one take and then and then uh if that worked then then just go ahead and record a second take right on top of it so i mean it is spontaneous i guess in that sense it's a spontaneous reaction to something uh that, that chris recorded probably like a month before (laughs) Uh, we do have uh, I think everything on the record is double tracked there is a seven inch coming out that has two tracks on it that just have one guitar Uh, and it's a little bit more uh, aggro and uh, maybe more like uh, our our last record Nice, but uh, yeah
0: Wicked well it's a really wonderful record and it's out on your Label Bill, which I meant to ask about the pronunciation was uh, what it is, because I'm sure everyone does. I went for palalalia in my head. What is it?
1: Yeah, that's that's what I say. I think it's actually with uh it's palal pala I say palalalia, palalalia. But I don't. I don't think that's correct.
0: I've been walking around the house just saying it, maybe once twice a day. um So this was my big moment. Um, it's a
1: good word to say
0: uh, yeah that's, I'm a big fan um, yeah so that's available by the time this comes out it will be available I thoroughly recommend getting hold of that it's wonderful um, you have both brought important records for us to talk about as well to each um, first question I like to ask before we talk about the records themselves was whether or not there was a particular framing or interpretation of the word important that you used when coming up with your list of records so Chris, I don't suppose, was there any way
2: that you thought about the term important to come up with the records that you did? Not in a specific way that I thought out that I could put into a sentence, but I did have my wheels spinning from thinking, oh, well, this one, that one, that, you know, there's just so <laughs> yeah. many. Um, so I picked one um, that is, uh, I guess, uh, pandemic-related, in that um, I was going to do a residency at Cafe Auto, and I was going to play with someone for the first time, mm-hmm. and again, that thing of spending a year looking forward to this um, residency that, that didn't happen, and what would it be like to play with her, et cetera, et etc. And then, from thinking more and more about it, it's like, damn, that record... Because both of these records I heard probably in around 96 or 97, so about 25 years these records have been in my brain. Um and uh like a lot of things I really care about that for instance like Captain Beefheart, Hendrix and the Minutemen are three things where I heard them, you know, probably when I was like all around the same time, like, you know, early teenage years. And no matter where I am in life, no matter what I'm listening to, I can kind of be like, Oh, did they they must have heard this too and done their take, you know, like it's, <laughs> it relates to so much. And it's like, I could never escape, not that I want to, but those three things I could never escape. Um, Cause it's just always kind of there.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
2: and th- I found that this record, um, uh, Caroline Krabbel's now we are one, two, it's called uh, is a, a bit like that. And I hadn't even realized that until uh, kind of re-listening and trying to figure out how I would, try and speak on it um so that that counts to me as important i would say and the other ones are art ensemble art ensemble of chicago who are just again like something the more that i think about they've infected every part of me um you know so that i guess the influence aspect would be how i determined importance
1: and what about you bill honestly i didn't try to interpret the word important at all <laughs> um <laughs> Fair enough. i just kind of uh i kind of bounced around i had i came up you know you know I had some choices, and then I had some other choices, and then the next day I had some other choices uh but at some point, I realized uh something that it would be this, that I love like unconditionally, you know, and I think it's a great record start to finish uh it's not widely heard. I thought you know that's that's the record I should pick and it's uh Jane Cortez and the fire spitters uh there it is which uh, she released on her own label, Paula Press, back in uh, somewhere in the 80s. And uh, she came to Miami and uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, she somehow she came to Miami and then she performed. And I'm realizing there's a song about Miami on this album, so I guess she must have come to Miami before this album came out. But I used to see it in Miami record stores all the time.
0: <laughs> right. Uh,
1: and that's where I got my copy. But, uh... It's, she's uh, Ornette Coleman's uh, wife, ex-wife, mm-hmm. I guess, at the time she released this and, this, and the mother of DiNardo Coleman, who plays on the record. And it's basically uh, the Ornette Coleman electric band with uh, jamaluddin Takuma and Bern Nix kind of at the core. Mm. And it's it's poetry, so it's, it has this quality, it's poetry and it's uh, Ornette-related, which made it easy for me to hook in my second uh, record, because... I've always loved uh, Ronald Shannon Jackson's uh, solo drum record called Pulse, uh, which also uh, features a lot of poetry, I think, on every track, and, uh, and solo drums. And I was like, uh, the, the Ornette connection and the poetry connection, I was like, I oh, think these will make a good pair. So those are my two. Uh, and I guess they, they both came out in the 80s, I think. yeah,
0: Nice. So let's dig into these records specifically then a bit more. Um, Chris, whichever one you want to go with first, uh, tell me the name of it and then a little bit about why this one specifically is important.
2: Um, let's start with the Carolyn Crabble record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Now We Are 1-2. Uh, and that's, you know, one, the number one, and two, the number two, um, not T-O-O. And I first heard it because i was working for byron coley um writer record label person and person who introduced me to a ton of music kind of i wouldn't be here talking to you if it weren't for him um and i worked for the label but then also just doing whatever and since since he's a writer and a um, mega record collector he has a ton of records and i was Putting CDs, you know, moving them from the garage to wherever, and uh, came across in the pile of amazing things this Rosario looking CD that uh, it's like kind of encased in like a latex rubber. Um, I don't know if you saw the from the discogs. It's kind of hard to <laughs> tell. It's it's Whoa. hard to describe. Um, and there's like a hand cut out two figurines in like um, kind of colored foil, and that's like from nine. It is from ninety seven. I don't know how many people were really doing like CDs, putting like the care into CDs. I feel like at that point they weren't a very loved, um, maybe kind of more sterile. Like if you, ah, maybe that's not, maybe that's unfair. Um, (laughs) But I would, you know, when I think of like a hand done, say like Caroline or like most of those were records where you might get like, a paste-on cover, and, like, if it's Carolina, there could be some dirt inside the record because that's part of the packaging, and then, you know, God knows what else, gauze, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, uh, this amazing uh, uh, con- record construction. So then, yeah, that just, I just was like, what the, what is this? And listened to it, and it's a solo saxon voice record. Um, and at the time, uh, I was probably just, you know, and within the last, th- those years, getting into all free improvisation and and whatever and yeah there's just like uh it kind of just hit me just right because the thing that i was coming out of was probably punk hardcore etc and her uh attention to just the sound she was is from the states i believe seattle but she moved to the uk in late 70s early 80s like punk era so Mm -hmm. i think maybe she has that too uh of like bridging these these two worlds and so the sound on it uh is just really raw and she uses a lot of you know oversaturated distorted recording uh techniques and it just it's I just think it's killer. I love the record and you know that that thing of that at the time I was responding to probably the it, it had a similar vibe to me to like Arthur Doyle records, like his solo records like um mm-hmm. the one on ecstatic piece and then there's one on Audible Hiss where it's you know just saxon voice and it's recorded pretty not so uh, ecm hi-fi it's you know <laughs> that's kind of what my ears really needed um and that's kind of what i got into call it free jazz or whatever you want to call it, it was like hearing saxophones that could be as distorted and as uh, visceral as guitars were and it just kind of hooked me in and then you know i guess maybe i don't know for me 10 years eh, down the line, I'm checking out things which might be more like extended technique or whatever you want to call it. Yet the um, Caroline Krabbel record, she was doing that. Like there's like a lot of circular breathing and slap tongue, et cetera, et cetera. And not Mm -hmm. that I really even was aware of that at the time. So it's kind of a record I can always come back to and find a new thing. Like she just covers so much. Um, Anyone who can create their own Micro universe, and you know, uh, probably worth mentioning Milford Graves. Not that I didn't choose one of his records, but he is incredibly important well to everybody. But, um, uh-huh. like the universe that he and he he spans so many different universes, but uh, yeah, just with his passing, thinking thinking on him too, mm. like uh, that someone who can create this whole thing and becoming coming out of you know, you don't like there, it's not like they just came out of nowhere but then where they take it to is like ground that nobody else covered and, and i find that to be incredible and inspiring
0: and as you mentioned you were going to play with caroline that was your own residency right At, i'd say that was yeah. going to take place yeah
2: yeah and um it was going to be with john edwards who i played with a bunch when i moved to the uk in 2005 uh because my wife was doing a postdoc over there And I I played with John Edwards, which was mind-blowing. He's incredible. And so I've known him for a really long time. And, um, you know, they're uh, partnered and they play together and kind of always wanted to, you know, you you hear something you love like that like that record, and it's like, well, could I fit into this world? Like, what is this universe and (laughs) have a place in it? And then I think I kind of never pursued it because I was like, well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And then eventually I just decided that it was stupid to 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 avoid it and just to to try it out and then because I did that I brought down this whole pandemic on everybody I assume that that must have been (laughs) sorry
1: yeah I didn't want to say it
2: um
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, we were all thinking
0: (laughs) um and in the same way that you mentioned that you know when you're practicing ahead of playing with people you're trying to anticipate the way in which they go about things. I mean, were there ways you were thinking about Caroline's approach that, you know, particular flags that you thought, right, I'm going to have to be able to deal with that.
2: That was, that's a good question because uh, that, that record in particular, her solo record is, I've heard a lot of her other records and there aren't other things that sound like that because right. she's an improviser, she's responding to other people. So you could kind of, um and i did this actually like re- relates to john edwards like the first time i played with john was also with Evan parker uh whose music i knew before moving to the uk kind of you know i knew records for sure and i thought oh he has this you know this kind of i don't know maximalist circular breathing soprano thing and and maybe this thing that that i'm trying to get together would work with it but then i found in real life when i would try and put them together it was like oh no that doesn't work and like his right. heaven solo circular breathing soprano concept or whatever you however you want to speak of it um like it it, it exists because it's a solo concept kind of and it's not really a, a duo or group thing and, and uh so i found that like you know when you sort of imagine these um you know, what if situations that, like it's better to uh, not get totally too, uh, you know, locked into them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with Caroline keeping that in mind, it was like, well, it's going to be with Caroline and John, and it was going to be a trio. So, then it was kind of like uh, the way that her record opened up a world of possibility. Like, you know, there's a lot of sax stuff that I'd heard at that point, but then I heard her record, and was like, I'd heard, you know, Dewey Redman and Joe McPhee, There are people who vocalize through the sax, but Caroline has her own thing, and it even it goes in a different direction. So that, I don't know, just like that freedom, I guess, the, the suggestion of, of that like, things you hadn't thought of yet are possible, and I, I think maybe it just would have been to try and push myself and, and, and they, didn't, John nor Caroline need put, I mean, they're amazing. So like, but yeah, to, to, to kind of keep it, uh, loose and, and freaky, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but I, I didn't think that would be a problem. Um, but that would be the main thing was thinking like that I needed to come guns a blazing, so to speak, <laughs> and, and try and really encourage, you know, uh, that, that rawness and the distortion, the, you know, I mean, like on the record, it's just, it's, it's a, um, acoustic property of distortion, but like that to me has like an emotional equivalent and to try and get mm. to that, that place, um, which would be the opposite of politeness, you know, but, mm. uh, yeah. So that, that was kind of it. I, I didn't, with some people, I do practice specific things, you know, like if they're very, I don't know, faster if they have like more of a jazz language or something in their, in their world. Then I think, Oh, I should really be able, if they want to go there, I want to be able to, to not hold them back, you know, but with, um, Caroline and, and John, I wasn't working on specific, uh, like nuts and bolts mechanics. It was just more like, damn, I can't wait till this happens. So I'm still <laughs> hoping it. Happens. we'll see what kind of plagues I can bring upon the world by by not making
0: <laughs> up an <on> it. <laughs> and if we were to play a short clip of one of the tracks of this record right here, do you have a preference?
2: Um, B one, which is uh, the track two. I think that's a that's a good one. And then, <laughs> um, or no, no, was, yeah, yeah, B two, the second track, or. Cool. I'm really bad with names so I'm trying to think of what's what um yeah go go for that one <laughs>
1: Bill,
0: so let's talk about one of your important records. Uh, yeah, whichever one you want to talk about and uh, tell me a little bit about why it's specifically important to you.
1: Um, okay, so I guess I'll start with Jane Cortez and the Fire Spitters. I'm trying to think how I even know about this record. I, I, think, I feel like I've had it for a really long time. I know that uh, Steve Malagodi, uh, who was this uh, DJ... Who had a late night program in Miami called New Music Miami? <laughs> he used to play it. I, that's probably where I heard it. I heard a lot of uh, stuff on his show, and I must have picked it up in a record store not long after that. And it's you know she's a poet, so it's it's poetry with with backing tracks with a really amazing backing band. Mm. I've never, I never really thought of Donardo Coleman as a much as a drummer. I guess I hadn't really thought of him at all, but he's so good on this record. Right, um, and there's a uh, they get they get quite a group going, and uh, Bern Nix is great as well. And then there's also from time to time saxophone and various other kinds of percussion. But uh, her poetry is very uh, political, I guess, uh, and and like really profane and uh kind Hmm. of trying to avoid saying like in your face but it's it's in your face uh yeah i mean i just i just love this record i don't really have the kind of backstory to talk about it the way that chris did uh it's just an amazing record uh i love things that aren't that don't depend a lot on some kind of taste to appreciate i mean this record there's not a lot of subtlety uh it's Mm. it's an amazing record but it's not like you wouldn't put this on in the background um it's really like a a really uh direct uh you know she's directly addressing the listener and she has things to say uh and she she knows how to say them Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, i i just i just love this record uh and very few people know it she's a there's only there's a great there's only one track but she's in this movie called uh poetry in motion which is a documentary about poets with uh justin and jamal adin takuma and and burn Nix uh doing one of the tracks off this album and it's it it must have been from around the same time as they recorded the record because it sounds very similar uh and it's just an amazing performance so if you can't find the record and i'm looking on discogs now where it's like 90 bucks starting price by the way chris i just bought the record that you were talking about because 7.99 i want to get it before it, the prices shoot up after the oh. <laughs> <That's
0: smart.
1: laughs> what the My caroline gosh. cravel one yeah yeah i just bought it I was like, <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> like 7.99 that's a good price i'm getting that now <laughs> Uh,
2: it's sold out on her website, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad I talked it up enough. It's yes, like- <laughs>
0: good <laughs> testament, wow.
2: Uh, so
1: anyway, yeah, the Jane Cortez record I think is amazing. And like I said, there's a track uh, about Miami called Bloodsuckers mm. uh, that I think is uh, phenomenal. And uh, that would be, if you're going to start, if you're going to play one track off of it, I would go for uh, something from uh, Bloodsuckers
0: especially the bit where she's like suck 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 quite <laughs> intensely uh yeah that's a, re- it's yeah. a great
1: album it's an amazing album and it, it i don't know you know there's so much great music in the world and i don't know you know i many times i hear records and i'm like how is it that, that how can somebody give this four stars i mean like, this is five stars <laughs> you know what I mean it's like there are so many movies too and you're like like can you imagine all the work and imagination and and you know that went into this and then it's like 3.7 stars and you're like this is oh. amazing this is five <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> so yeah this is one of those records that should be five but like on discogs what is it it's like it's not even yeah 3.7 yeah 3.75 so, so that's, that's
0: not good enough um <laughs> And if you think back to when you were listening to this record, when you first discovered it, where does your mind go? Like, where are you? How are you listening to this
1: album? I think I was, I must have been back. I came back to Miami in 84 from college to go to to graduate school. It must have been sometime between then and like, so like probably between 85 and 90. So I would have been, living somewhere <laughs> it, you know, it, i had this routine of like uh, you know getting stoned and going record shopping and i must have picked it up somewhere on one of those trips and then coming back and and listening to it you know and it's uh, i'm trying to think what the impact must have been it, it must have just been uh because the other thing is that like it's it's really quite engaging like musically you know right it's not like you're paying it's 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 great art but you're there's no there's no you don't have to pay anything there's no punishment side. <laughs> it's all <positive. clears throat> you know if you like incendiary uh you know political statements, it's got that, and then it's got all this this you know in the in and, and I said it has great grooves, but it's not like any kind of cheesy grooves that you've ever heard before it's you know one of a kind musicians. You know who have trained with a Renette who are playing something unlike anything you've ever heard before. So I mean, it's the music is amazing, the words are amazing, and I'm sure uh, you know I can't quite conjure up where I heard where I was when I heard it first. But I'm sure uh, you know I know that I've listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times over the years. And uh, after I pulled it up for the, for this show, I put it on my Facebook page just because how could I not? You know, but. Mm-hmm. If it, it always feels like nobody really a, f- a couple of times you know you get a couple of people that's it. it's one of those records you have to win people over you know two at a time mm. but someday yeah well, hopefully
0: this does a little bit um, Yeah. I guess Chris you can't really go on Discogs and buy this one for $90 <laughs> not quite as easy for you <laughs> $8 I mean big difference sucky 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 it, sucky it Sucking through the rotten banana parts the contracting fumes of vicious watch dogs and fabricating sucks
2: with
0: the dupon suckers at the test site. Chris, let's go to your second record now. So again, remind us of the name of it and then a bit about why it's important to you.
2: Um, that's uh art ensemble of Chicago and it's uh she congo, like like see like sh- like chicago and congo um ah, right uh, put together like C H I dash congo um and got it about the same time i think at that time um it was the most i had spent on a record even if it was credit that i had it it was byron's store that i was working at at the time and i had some credit and it was uh i think the price tag is still on it it was 40 bucks back in 97 wow. or six yeah right um and from working at the record store i could play whatever and i you know art ensemble is just one of those bands that you come to kind of early on they have a ton of records and they're amazing just all the players individually but then what they could do together that again that like universe creation um which they brought through also like a visual thing and they have their kind of like the different personalities they embody and like the face you know like they just kind of are um fascinating uh they, they still are to me now but like especially when i first started checking them out um and this record is i think if i'm not mistaken it's the first one that don moyer is on um the drummer wow. uh, of our ensemble <clears throat> and he's amazing of course and um <laughs> and it brings us added energy it's really dense um I, I think i'm always a sucker for double sax um so joseph jarman and roscoe mitchell together in mm. addition to all the other instruments like the the list of the credits are amazing because everyone is playing his listed is playing like you know at least six things like a lot of percussion and um <laughs> and i'm I, at that time and probably forever but definitely early on like i was responding to like rawness and and high energy density and all these things you know the Carol, caroline caroline record had it in its own way in a solo context but this is a band context where it's like everyone is soloing at once but it's not really a solo because they're all going at once and they're all definitely listening to each other and making something that's not doesn't feel like an egotistical terrible jam where everyone's just trying to do their thing it's it's right. just people who who can play at the maximum and listen at the maximum, you know, at, at the same time. And it was, um, I'd seen things like that live, um, which really convinced me of the, this, I, you know, kind of music's, uh, magic. And so then hearing it translate to record, which was always sort of a problem. I think it still is, is like getting that, that thing that happens in a room onto a you know vinyl cd or whatever is like it can be tricky and and caroline did it her way with like distortion and multi it seemed like like multi-tracking maybe she was using and and art ensemble did it their way just by being so badass that you know like the <laughs> recording and, and things do seem like they i think it is a studio recording there's not a whole lot of information on the on the back but uh, just things kind of come and go and something seemed like way closer to the microphone there seems like a little bit of um, again non ECMness to it um, now I'm I' This is the second interview that Bill and I have done <laughs> where ECM
1: gets picked up. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say something. It's like, are people going to think that we don't like ECM? Come on, man.
2: <laughs> I, I almost picked an ECM record for this. To, uh, to <laughs> so did concerned.
1: I. So did I. Yeah, I was going go to go a a
2: different way and have like,
1: uh, sorry, I'm busting into Chris's thing. But uh, uh, just because of the subject of ECM, I totally was going to do an all ECM Pat Metheny uh, duo. And then and I I, mean, I was like, Well, that's that's just too anarchic. That's too <laughs> iconic. I can't have that. But anyway, sorry, sorry, it didn't mean to bust and it. It sounds but... like backtracking on your ECM hate to me at the last minute. <laughs> yeah,
2: I don't wanna I got nothing really against it. And, Um Yeah, afternoon of a Georgia Fong, Marion Brown is another amazing record that could have i could have chosen which is an ecm so you know but um (laughs) but in terms of like aesthetics that you pick up along the way or you, you have it it's almost like you have it revealed to you that that was something inside you that you just didn't know or maybe you did but like this art ensemble record um i just love the sound of it in addition to the playing like there's always something i can pick out that's new and then there's some I mean, there's some really dense kind of free style. I, you know, I kind of hate choosing words to talk about it because they're probably not the words that the players would want to be used. And so then it's like, I feel like I'm putting words in somebody else's mouth. But uh, the way that I've heard stuff like this get described, so maybe to the listeners, they'll get what I mean. It's just, you know, fiery or high energy stuff. And then there'll be like these moments of maybe there's like a really short, Um, head that might have been composed beforehand you know they all Mm -hmm. hit it but then it just like explodes again and I think I have like um, you know uh, for this sort of music like I'm not um, I I like things to be pretty free improvised but then like seeing that like bit of like everyone just kind of links up at a certain point and then I think they actually do that just by improvising and being great improvisers that um, but but the amount of approaches that Art Ensemble are willing to put to use is as wide as any band I've ever heard. And they're um. always successful at it, which is astounding. And, um, and you know, the thing that maybe I was really responding to it at some live shows is this kind of, uh, like, ego destruction, dissolution. Like, the, the people are... Um, Not so much about themselves, but like melting into the whole band and then the band becomes more powerful for it. And I feel like Art Ensemble uh, do that on record in, in a way that's amazing.
0: Yeah, that feels like a fine line, though, right? I mean, especially if you're going for this maximalist sonic for it to be conveyed and received as people all listening and engaging and dissolving ego rather than trying to out muscle each other i mean you you mentioned there were times you'd seen that effectively done live i mean who comes to mind when you say that
2: um this band test daniel carter sabir mateen matt hainer and tom bruno were definitely the that was i was sold you know like on it, it was just like this is I th- I need this more of this in my life, and I and I heard it really early in in hearing I don't know sax- saxophone related music. I, you know, I, even jazz is a tricky term. So, um, but you know, they they're totally freely improvised, and um, and Daniel uh, Carter and Sabir Mateen are both horn players, like multi instrumentalists, and the way that they would interact. With each other, but then also Tom Brunner the drummer and Matt Haner, the bassist. there is a greater good uh mm. aspect at the same time that you know I guess i don't i can't you know it's tough to get inside somebody else's head, so you know you could be you could be watching a band thinking that there is no ego involved, but I guess there could be ego and just like oh i'm I'm showing everyone that I'm a very good listener and I'm responding you know so I' like <laughs> yeah. But they they totally just from being seeing them at other times and, and kind of making sure like I moved to New York City because of that band. Uh, I didn't last very long in New York City, cause like, <laughs> but I did I did straight up move to wow. New York in '98, and I, I saw them in '96 or something. And so it was like, yeah, I need to be. Because they would play in the subway, um, that was one of the things they did. It was like the, like every week or twice a week they would go to different s- subway stops in um, Manhattan. And uh, I was like, I need to see them in the subway because that must be amazing. And it was like I was watching them at once, and then I was facing away from the where the subway came. I didn't even realize that a subway came and stopped as loud as they are, because I was so focused on them, and they were just going for it. So hard. <laughs> I didn't realize until all these people started walking by me. I was like, where'd they come from? This, this it was just me and the on the platform. Wow. So yeah, that was that was a totally uh, almost out-of-body experience. And I felt like time was weird when I first saw them um, in Massachusetts. Uh, so that, that and then also uh, Paul Flaherty, Randall Coburn had a Quintet that played that same place that same summer, and that's actually the first time same place that uh, Harry Pussy played when I first saw Bill oh, cool. play, and that that you know was another thing that totally was like mind blowing. So that that was like a ninety six ninety yeah around around then, and so like this this group of shows kind of did it for me, like the live experience could just like. so then searching that out on record which is you know the different things it's like you're not there and you're like the great thing about live is you can focus your attention where you want or whatever and then records it's kind of done for you um with how it's mixed or whatever and this Mm. art ensemble back to the the thing is like you know but the 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 thing about like the ego destruction is like yeah I don't know if everyone knows how they're doing it but like I think I think you just have to do it you have to keep yourself you're focused on who you're playing with or, or whatever or just dealing with everything that's around you somehow um, and because I've heard it when it doesn't work you know and maybe uh, maybe that's me or the, the listener um, not I don't know but giving mm-hmm. enough credit where it's due but yeah i don't know i feel like i at least for myself i can tell when it works and and i can at least when i feel it doesn't work so um i mean art ensemble is like a pretty easy one because i do feel like they're some of the greatest players i just you know like people to pick up that instrument you know they're they're no joke um but Mm. there's it takes more than just like technique you know like but they they have this kind of commitment and then where they're coming from. Like their concept of great black music, like they, I think they see a bigger picture, and that maybe that has something to do with it. And I know test the way that those four would talk about it, and you know, like from playing with some of them, just their their approach to it is like, yeah, the the thing that keeps an ego in check is just seeing that it's that there's a bigger picture.
0: Mm, awesome. And if we were to play a clip of one of the tracks of this record again do you have a preference
2: um it covers a lot of ground uh <laughs> like Hipper, Hipper Rip is the is the more spaced that one but the one that uh is incredibly dense fast playing that has a bunch of lines that all everyone's relating to each other magically is uh, uh chicago the first track um so
0: got one more record important record so again uh, remind us of the name and a bit about why it's important to you
1: uh it's ronald shannon jackson's pulse uh that came out in 84 on phil uh, loswell's label celluloid how did i come i, I don't know how, this record you you still find it in, like in cutout bins for like two dollars um really uh i think so Wow. well let's see i'm on discog so yeah, 996 <sighs> nine bucks wow. i guess is what it's but uh uh, how did I find this record? I, when I was in college, I tried to put a band together and found some kind of like like-minded people. Uh, but they were all older than me and I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be stoned and also kind of <laughs> 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 oh. organize them, you know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, the, I, and I remember it was so funny cause I remember I was probably like 19 or something and like, hanging out with this guy who was 26 and he just seemed so impossibly grown up for me (laughs) but he had he had an amazing record collection and played me a bunch of stuff including the first uh eye on you the first uh ronald shannon jackson record uh, which i was just so hard to get my head around and uh and so i started buying everything i could find by ronald shannon jackson and uh somehow happened on this record and it's uh again it's poetry uh, and uh, either recited or sung by Ronald Shannon Jackson while he plays the drums, or uh, there's also a more professorial, academic-sounding guy who recites a few poems while uh, Ronald plays in the background. But, uh, yeah, it's just an amazing... The, the real reason to, cut, to listen to this record is for track two, which is uh, yeah. It, yeah Richard III and The Raven, uh, like an 11-minute performance that just completely rave <laughs> raving yeah it's just out of control it's uh, i've never heard uh, anything like it you know usually for people who are kind of like you know is kind of well established as this is it sounds like a, like an outsider record or something it sounds like something re- somebody recorded in their basement uh-huh uh really going for it uh with no one around <laughs> uh but yeah, that's I mean that's what I that's what I would uh, listen to. But I mean, it's, it's, his drumming is amazing on all of it, and I like the poetry even the more kind of like you know traditional stuff. There's a there's a version of those Winter Sundays on here, which is this uh, poem by Robert Hayden that it's about a father who who gets up in the mornings to start the fires for the family.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And I, I, for you, know, there are like certain works of art that I use to torture my family with. Uh, and this is one of those things because it's about how, you know, the father makes banked fires blaze, and so I'll always say that in the morning when I'm turning on the heater. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love this record. It's a great record. The drumming is amazing. Aside from this, this uh, Richard the Third Raven thing. Uh, which is just off the charts, great, but uh, even the things that aren't like you know jaw dropping are, are really good, so uh, and it's yeah. uh, it reasonably priced. I would pick it up if you get a chance.
0: <laughs> I love that all of these are now coming with a, an, a, a <laughs> price tag, it's great. <laughs> um, the voice as well, like his, I presume it's oh his God. voice, right? On the, yeah, um. I mean, you mentioned the poetry. I guess also as well on that second track, there's maybe it is the poetry, but just expressed uh, quite loosely. But when yeah. his voice is aligning with the drums, holy shit! When you know some of those snare hits come in, it's insane. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's. I mean, it, he has a, a really incredible quality to his voice. Even the kind of like more folk kind of like putting on the dog and stuff. Mm. His voice sounds amazing. Uh, or Slim in Atlanta, but like the, yeah, the Richard Third, he just, it's, it's, it's more like an instrument, you know, like the words are only kind of partially there and the rest is coming over uh, in, in terms of just pure sound. But yeah, I, I love that, that track so much.
0: So sounds like you've dug into his work besides this one as well. I mean, uh-huh. he was in a band, I see, I don't know loads about him, but Decoding Society, right? That him?
1: Uh, yeah, that was his band. That was the name of his band. So, I mean, he goes way back. So he played with uh, Cecil Taylor. He's played yes. with Albert Eiler. He played with Ornette. Uh, you know, uh, so he has deep, deep roots. Um, but, but they had Decoding Society was the name of his band that he formed to do his own compositions.
0: And do you, are you into all of his stuff? Is there a certain, like, era of what he was doing or...?
1: There are records that are better than others. I would, you know, if, for the Decoding Society, I like Eye on You, and I also like Street Priest a lot. Mm. Uh, um, I would dig that one up. But uh, I love the, you know, the instrumentation, two basses, Melvin Gibbs on one, and I can't remember to play the other one, but, but uh, just really interesting uh, textures that, you know, weren't, well, they still aren't very common. The thing's just been normally here. I didn't want
0: <laughs> and I wanna also go back to you torturing your family. So, I'm intrigued, like, um, how much music, crossover is there between you and your family in terms of the stuff that you like to listen to, and, Uh you know, is there much mutual music you can play in the house that you all like? Uh,
1: You know, we don't, I would say that music plays a kind of, uh, not a primary role uh, for the family, it's like, uh, you know, like, if I get in the car, I'll turn the radio off, I don't want to hear usually any music at all uh when in the mornings i used to play uh like my ipod or something and i would put on something that i wanted to hear like dylan or something that i was wouldn't be too you know abrasive and my son would 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 like listen you know he would go like wow you know like he would hear you know a dylan song and like then like ask me questions about those words what what is that but uh (laughs) yeah uh you know i I really you know i I found with my kids they're really not into music in the same way the other thing the other issue is that they they really don't want to talk to me about music because my daughter says i'm too judgmental which i completely disagree with (laughs) but uh yeah she uh because she's because i see her like listening to music with her headphones on and i'm like oh what are you what are you listening to and then, like, like I can't tell you, <laughs> no. but uh, you know, I don't understand why. But yeah, it's uh, but I mean, there's there's so many other things like kids, kids. I think have so much other stuff in terms of like the internet and games and what have you. That that music just doesn't. At least my kids doesn't play the same role in their lives because they've got other stuff to obsess about, and you know, so
0: on the subject of mutual listening. This is like my final question. Is sure. is there a lot of stuff that you guys both associate with touring together? Particular
1: records or particular bands <laughs> that you both dig? Uh, <laughs> like I like Chris early on made the mistake of of giving me access to the aux cord in his car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, uh,
1: so why this your really... family no longer suffer? Chris is now getting all of that. <laughs> so I have this really clear memory of like putting on like a Frank Sinatra record and then promptly falling asleep, uh, <laughs> and leaving Chris listening to Frank Sinatra or something. <laughs> so. That's what I think
2: of when I. When you- <laughs> 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 yeah. I we've been more touring in Europe, so it's like, you know, more headphone situations recently. But yeah, early, early driving around, I think uh, Sinatra, maybe Dylan, <laughs> um, which I have, you know, I've kind of and that's like everybody, every tour you know, certain things hit and everyone's into it and then other things. And I think I have a big Dylan blind spot. Like, not that I I don't, it's not that I don't like, but it's just, it's like, it doesn't, it hasn't hit me the way that it, I, it hits a lot of other people. So I know I'm missing something, you know? Yeah, same. Uh, So that was one, maybe like a Led Zeppelin, which for me was like, uh, I have, Certain things, you know, like Hendrix will always stay with me, and then other things, like because at the same time as checking out Hendrix, for the when I was thirteen and fourteen, I think I also got into Led Zeppelin, and every drummer must, you know, like I mean, shit, Bonham's just an amazing drummer. But yeah. then there's something I just, uh I, I blame Robert Plant. I uh, <laughs> just like his voice. After a while, I just kind of I couldn't couldn't hang anymore. So I think on that same tour i think bill was probably giving me shit for not being into zeppelin um that that's what i would say but uh since i've kind of come back around because um, i also really am now appreciating uh john paul jones um and bonham together as like a as a unit is kind of that sort of a special thing so
0: nice i'm sure the same appraisal will come around for sinatra too um um, well bill chris thank you so much for sharing your important picks and talking through your new record as well i've had a wonderful time
1: great thank you for having us
0: and to everyone listening we'll see you next time goodbye